Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. This is episode 189. I'm your host, Trevor Williams, and before we begin, I've got super exciting news. We actually have hit a thousand subscribers over on the Farm Traveler YouTube channel. Super excited. We actually beat a thousand subscribers on my birthday. So that was a great birthday present. So thank you all so much for subscribing. I really, really appreciate it on our YouTube channel. Of course, we've got clips from our interviews, farm tours, all that good stuff. And of course, more exciting content on the way. But for today's show, we're chatting with Corwin Heatwall, who is the farmer behind an awesome chicken company called Farmer Focus. So the whole inspiration behind this is Corwin is a sixth generation farmer and he wanted to figure out a better way for chicken farmers to have more power in their farming practices and also have better growing techniques that are more organic, sustainable, and humane. So in our interview today, Corwin and I are going to talk about his background, what he took with, you know, with doing with being a sixth generation farmer how he used that to create this new business, Farmer Focus, what exactly raising chickens humanely and sustainable looks like. And really, also, if you can do that at, um, you know, when you're trying to meet consumer demands that want a lot of chicken, um, can you do it at a scale that can meet the demand or is it going to be a little bit more difficult? And how he's got over 80 farmers working with Farmer Focus. And get this, there are over 130 farmers on a wait list to join this. So clearly, Corwin and everybody at Farmer Focus are doing something phenomenal that more farmers want to get on board with. So we'll talk about all that stuff, the process of how they actually got a USDA grant to open up a, um, a different processing facility that can, that can help them meet even more demand, which is wild. And we'll talk about kind of some QR codes on there that help them... Um, help the consumers figure out who grew their chicken, they can meet the farmer, and the differences between free-range chicken and pasture-raised chicken, 
and all that stuff. If you want to check them out, um, go to farmerfocus.com. And they are also at some really cool stores all around the Northeast. So Allie and I are here currently in D.C. and they actually have some farmer-focused chicken at a grocery store called Harris Teeter. And so we're going to try to pick some up soon, do a little cooking video. I think that'll be super fun. That'll be over on Instagram or YouTube, so be sure to check that out. And of course, check out all the links below in the description. If you want to order some of their chickens, you can do it that way. And of course, they also work with companies like CrowdCow, which is also really cool if you want to find an order online. So hope you enjoy this episode. So please welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast, Corwin Heatwell. I actually just moved to Washington, D.C. for three months with my wife, and we found out that I think Harris Teeter has some of your farmer-focused meat, which we're going to try to get, and I'm super excited to try it. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, <laughs> there's a fair number of stores there around D.C. that carry it. I bet. So, Corwin, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast, man. Super excited to chat with you. Um, you are a sixth generation farmer, which is incredible. And you've got this really cool brand called Farmer Focus that we'll talk a little bit more about, but kind of tell us about your background and how, like what it's like being a sixth generation farmer. Yeah, well, we, we definitely get it honest, uh, six generations and, uh, you know, for us, it's definitely, it's in our blood. We grew up and on the farm. I remember we have some of it. I don't remember, obviously, when I was really young, but we have pictures of a couple years old there helping feed the chickens and the birds and and the calves and, and all that. So, you know, um, you learn work ethic and responsibility at a really young age that you typically don't in some other lifestyles. By like six and eight years old, we were going out and and had uh, certain farm responsibilities uh, on our own that were unsupervised. So. It definitely uh, uh, taught us some work ethic at a young age, but also it, it taught you how to, to learn. Sorry, you learn to love the animals on the land and mm. just really enjoy them. I bet. So, I mean, do you feel a lot of pressure there? Like whether it was growing up or right now, do you feel a lot of pressure there being the sixth generation on the farm? Uh, that's a great question. And the pressure is, is not, you know, how much do we love the animals on the land and love what we do? The pressure comes around the economic challenges mm -hmm. of sustainable and viable farming, which is the reason we started Farmer Focus, uh, to start a company that has a different way of partnering with farmers and a focus on how the animals are raised, the farm's financial viability, and, and really putting decision-making back into the hands of farmers. So, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, Farmer Focus is working hard to preserve the future of farming. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. I know kind of this, the basics of the story of Farmer Focus. You guys are, it seems like it originated at more humane ways of raising animals. So what was the whole inception of that idea? That was a journey. It was an evolution, and it started back uh, farther than 10 years ago when, you know, walking the barns and and looking at the birds and saying there there is a better way than partnering with the big company to just, you know, mass produce birds for them. Mm -hmm. And it was 10 years ago where um, I had a, a light bulb moment and uh, decided to trial a test with 300 
uh, chickens that were going to be certified organic and certified humane. And those were the first chickens I had owned, even though I'd raised uh, millions of chickens for the integrated companies. Um, and we had a processor uh, range to uh, process those birds and we were going to sell them at a local supermarket. And um, after those birds uh, got to the farm, the processor reached out and said, we don't want to do a little such a small group. We uh, that we're not going to process your birds. So then we were left with no place to process the birds and no place to go. So then we realized if we were going to protect our farming success and to be able to uh, own the birds and farm the way we believe it would need to be done, that we had to create our own processing capabilities. Mm. In hindsight, I'm really glad they declined to process the birds because it forced us to make some bold moves um, and create our own processing capability, which is the reason that Farmer Focus is where it is today. But that wasn't the goal. The goal was to protect and build financially viable uh, ways of farming. So um, that that's that's some of the challenges we had in the early days. I bet. And so um, how old were you when you took on those 300 chickens to kind of try out this process? Oh, I think I was 20 eight or nine years old. Okay. So you had, you definitely had a lot of experience under your belt when you, when you tried to do that. So that's good. Yeah. So growing healthy and delicious chickens was something we could do in our sleep. You know, mm-hmm. we had done this all of our, our lives and that's what we had so much confidence around. In fact, the, uh, after we scrambled to find a sale for those 300 chickens, to sell them live to someone, they, they were blown away. So it was, it was the healthiest chickens they'd ever seen it's because we were really good at growing chickens, but mm-hmm. to become a processor um, was going into a completely different field to where we had to learn a lot of different skill sets. So what were some of those skills that you had to learn? Cause I know that, I mean, processing is such a very interesting topic here in the U S because we have just such limited numbers of like, large-scale processors and stuff like that. So what were some skills that you guys were having to learn because you were going down this humane route? It was really all of them Mm. uh, to learn how to run a processing facility because when we decided we were going to do that, I had yet to set foot in a processing facility. (laughs) So we're there putting together the the processing equipment, getting set up in this building, and and then someone um, mentions, you know you need to apply for a grant of inspection what's a grant of inspection? You know, so um, that's a six month process. Like, oh goodness, we only have three months. There there was a lot of things we learned, uh, you know, just by jumping in and doing it. And some of it we learned the hard way. And, but, you know, we really leaned on some industry professionals to help coach us to minimize the amount of mistakes we made. Yeah. And so going off of the processor thing, you guys just, um, didn't you get a grant from the USDA? Yes, we were awarded a piece of the um, MPBEP grant, which is to meet the meat and poultry expansion program. And that is going to uh, go to help us expand our breasty boning capabilities that will um, relieve a bottleneck, which will allow us to operate our facility on a second shift as well. Um, so, yeah, I know that once you get the government involved, things are going to get complicated. So. I'm sure applying for that grant was a super thorough process. Like, what was that experience like? Yeah, we have some experts on our team that are very familiar with USDA processes. And 
um, they manage that. And to be honest, I, I didn't have a lot to do with the process other understanding the how the partnership was going to work. It kind of sounds like, you know, when those when those processes start, it's probably a good idea to hire the experts that know how to get government grants, because I feel like you've got to dot your I's and cross your T's just perfectly on any grant to get any sort of reward from it. So, I mean, it's a good thing that you guys got it. Like, what's the timeline looking like for it to go ahead and like start building up that processing? Well, there, there are some other things that need to uh, take place in parallel with finding the, the rest of the equipment and putting this whole uh, project together. So hopefully we'll start some brick and mortar expansion here, um, you know, later this year and have it ready to go by the first of 24. Sweet. Well, that's exciting. So, I mean, I'm sure that'll be here a lot quicker um, than it seems. And so the, the you keep mentioning Humane, and that is something that I found on your website, which is farmerfocus.com. Like you guys kind of drive that home a lot. Um, why is it important for you as a farmer to make sure you're raising chickens in a humane way and that consumers know that? Yeah, our vision statement is to be the number one brand for those who care about people, animals, and planet. Mm. And one thing that farmers are very passionate about is how they care for their animals. And when other companies might not necessarily have the same focus, there's there's a misalignment. So that, w- that was part of my passion. And even on those first 300 birds that I grew there 10 years ago, um, I had a cert- they were they were certified humane. And the reason mm-hmm. I chose certified humane is that their standards align the most with what we believe helps create the most natural environment for the chickens. And choosing our certifications carefully is very important because that is what we use as the over overarching guidelines for our whole farmer community so that the farmers can have the freedom to make all their operational decisions and do things the way they believe is best. But these standards uh, create some unity around how we approach, you know, the natural light that chickens get, outdoor access to go out and pet grass and and things. So all of that is unified. Okay, I got you. And what's the, um, because I know when it comes to like organic produce, for example, you've got to grow that produce like it's organic for three years until you can actually sell it as certified organic. So what's the whole approval process to get that certified humane label? The largest wait period is around the crop fields that grow the grains for the chickens. Mm -hmm. Um, That is a three year transition, just like you said, for the fruit trees and everything else. The the ground has to uh, have a three year cleansing period uh, to to be able to produce organic feed Um, in the poultry barns themselves. We can just clean them out and make sure that the bedding that we are using is an organic approved bedding and we can can grow chickens but the the out the outside pasture areas that is attached to every barn that also has a three-year wait which has Mm. prohibited certain farms from qualifying as quickly okay that that's really interesting and i know this this is something that just kind of drives me crazy when it comes to you know food labels um and correct me if i'm wrong but when poultry for example is labeled free range that doesn't actually mean free range. It just means it has access to go outside. Is that right? Yeah, that's very technical. And in, in some ways it can be almost a, a little bit 
deceiving mm. as to what some people label free range or or just have outdoor access. But um, that that has definitely been a sticking point in the industry. I bet. And so how much more different and how, really how much more, you know, movability and access to going outside do humanely raised chickens have? So we require all of our farms to have 100% space equivalent to the indoor space so mm. the chickens can go out and have the same amount of space as indoors and that it's required to be uh, to have vegetation. It can't be just, you know, uh, bare ground or anything. And it's an enriched environment outside with straight shade structures and perches and things that inspire the chickens to go out. And you know, chickens are just naturally flocked together. So, um, you know, when you open the doors in the morning, there's a group that just crowds to go out and <laughs> some of them will go out and crowd under a shade structure or go along the wall, do, you know, they do something. But, uh, it's not unusual that when the sun comes up and gets fairly warm by late morning, most of them are back inside in the shade and just happy to be there. <laughs> That's so funny that they've got, you know, their own routine and that, you know, the early bird gets the worm, like they want to get outside early before the heat of the day and then go inside. And um, so this is a really funny question. Like, do you have a pest or not a pest, but do you have like a, a predator problem because they're going outside a lot? Like, is that something you guys have to worry about? Uh, a little bit, but mm. it hasn't really been a significant problem. Um, one time I, I got to the farm and I heard this squawking noise and I, <laughs> I wasn't sure what it was. I go around the corner of a barn and a skunk had, uh, was playing tug of war with a chicken. <laughs> and so I carefully distracted the skunk to, uh, to let the chicken get free, uh, without being sprayed. But, um, that's about the extent of the predatory issues that we've seen. Well, hey, that's good. And also another good thing that you did not get sprayed because I have I, I hear that that's not a fun thing. Of course, you know, just from the few handful accounts and, you know, cartoons growing up that always showed it was a horrible thing. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we haven't. But somehow the, the dogs that we have around the farm uh, have a way of learning <laughs> um, skunks and getting sprayed regularly. And, and so, yeah, it's a it's a nightmare. I bet. Are they just like regular dogs you have on the farm or are they guardian dogs? No, they're just regular dogs. Um, I wish they were guardian dogs. I'm not sure they're quite that smart. <laughs> I I love looking at um, videos on Instagram or YouTube or something or even Facebook where they're, they're videos of guardian dogs, you know, protecting sheep, protecting chickens in like the middle of the night. It's so fun because they just sleep out there. They basically live with the animals and they're protecting them. And so it's so cool just to kind of see that protection instinct in them. Like yeah, they're protecting their neat. chickens, their flocks, everything. It's so cool to see. So I, I know some people in the industry, for example, like let's say you're doing it, I guess the traditional route, you're you're raising chickens, but those chickens are owned by Tyson or whatever big, you know, chicken manufacturer, for example. Um, and so you're basically, the chickens are on loan from Tyson until they reach a certain weight and then you send them back. And so you really don't own the chickens. You're just kind of like the grower really. But it seems like with your process, you have you and the farmers have more control on the chicken. So why is that control super important? The reason that allowing farmers to own the birds on their farms was so important is because we could also give the control, the operational control to the farmer too. And also a big piece of it was 
being able to compensate a farmer fairly for their hard work and their investment. And when we could allow the farmers the risk and the responsibility that goes along with the ownership, it inspired a special level of animal husbandry and attention to detail mm. that, all, that raised a better bird at a lower cost. And we can give that back to the farmer. So we don't really have to pay a lot more for our chickens to have better chicken. We just give that portion back to the farm and the farmers are more profitable. I got you. It's so interesting to hear that, you know, when you, I guess, remove the middleman, like the big corporations and all, you're not going to increase the price of the food that much. And a lot more of the profit is going to go back to the farmer and the consumer is going to get a lot better quality of the product. Because, you know, like you said, you're not just mass producing chickens, like you're being intentional, you're raising them humanely. And so it's wild how much different the whole food supply chain can be when you take out that middleman. Yeah, that was really important to us. And that's one reason why we have the farm to table traceability on every package of, of product. The consumer can use the QR code to meet the farmer that raised that, that bird for them and to make that connection back to the roots, back to the, to the person who's putting out the feed and, and doing that work. That's really neat. And is that also there for, you know, I mean, worst case scenario, you have a foodborne illness. I mean, is it also there where you can trace it back to the exact farm that it came from? Well, that, that's a good point. You could use it for that, mm. um, but that was not the goal of, of why we put it on there. And obviously, if you look around at the other chicken brands, we're the only one who has that level of farm to table traceability mm -hmm. and transparency. You know, we're not just uh, showing a picture to, we're showing the family, their pets, their interests, their hobbies, and you really get a glimpse of what it's like and on a day on their farm and, and with those farmers. And that was the, the goal is to help people understand, um, you know, how hard these farmers work, how good they are at what they do and how passionate they are about raising healthy animals. So I actually had on another Virginian, um, Joel Salatin, a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about something you just mentioned. And it's just kind of like the, the, the transparency at the farm, whether it's, you know, the QR codes and you can see exactly how your chickens were made. Um, I think like consumers really want to learn that now. And through companies like you guys, they can see that they're being raised in humane manners which is awesome. And they can build those connections and then they can go back and buy from you guys over and over again. Um, and so do you think that transparency is really big and something that, you know, might become more popular in the industry? Yeah, we believe transparency to where food comes from and who raised the food will be something that consumers continue to uh, seek more or have more interest in because just in the last, uh, I'd say 18 months to two years, over 150,000 consumers have opened up web pages to see which farm farmer grew their chicken. Hmm. I mean, do you see that kind of as as a result of the of the pandemic or lockdown? Like, what do you think might be the cause of that? I think the pandemic might have increased that a little bit, but we had also already seen a lot of tailwind and interest around that in particular, that transparency, the traceability. Uh, so we implemented that in 2018 and was seeing a lot of momentum even prior to the pandemic. I should have asked this earlier. Um, so you guys had your processing system in place before the pandemic, right? 
Yeah, we opened our first processing facility in spring of 2014. Okay, so did you guys experience a lot of the issues that kind of the the large the larger processing facilities experienced during the pandemic, whether it's um, you know decreased availability or people out being sick? Did you kind of experience that as well? We did not, and I would contribute that to us not only being a, a smaller company that can have a personal touch mm. and really show our our care for employees, but and our team is a very skilled and proactive team. I, th I think that um, when uh, our HR team had met and looked at the risk of this, I believe they ordered like a thousand gallons of hand sanitizer. <laughs> oh, wow. And, <laughs> and that was before you couldn't get it anymore. So after it became a scarce commodity, we were actually giving it out to local first responders and, and other people who didn't have it. But just focusing on your people, taking care of them. We was given, giving them care packages each week of, of necessity so that they wouldn't have to go to the store and, and potentially be exposed to anything. Um, we actually expanded our production by almost 60% in the first six to eight months of COVID. Really? That's awesome. Expanded production. That's something you don't hear a whole lot about. It's either production went under or, you know, I mean, the business went under because that's all, that's awesome. You guys expanded production by 60 percent. Yeah. If you think about where the demand hit during COVID, people quit going to restaurants and they were going to grocery stores. We're in the grocery business where we provide the retailers. So when shelves were empty, every retailer was calling saying, hey, do you have any chicken? And we said, yes, we act, we do have chicken and we'd <laughs> love to partner with you. And it really helped. Um, open some channels for us because there was some customers that we had been having conversations with and were wanting to do business with for several years. And when the pandemic hit, everybody needed chicken. They called and we said, well, if you're willing to commit to a long-term partnership, we'll supply you. So that's how we decided who, how to divvy out the limited amount that we had. But fortunately, we never missed a shift uh, and we were able to expand even during times where other companies uh, stumbled a little bit. That's amazing. I mean, that you guys kind of swooped in there and there was so much demand for the chicken because, you know, like you said, people weren't going to restaurants. And so you're like, hey, we've got a product. Um, let's work with you. And you kind of jumped on it. That's awesome. And I mean, obviously, have you all kind of continued those relationships, I, I guess, kind of like post pandemic? Yeah, I think all of those relationships have continued to date. That's so cool. Um, so how many how many farmers and farms are you guys working with with Farmer Focus? Currently partnered with 80 farmers. Um, I'm one of them. Um, and my 17 year old daughter is helps run the farm while I'm running the company. So uh, proud to carry on that tradition. Um, but one thing I think is a testament to the need for a model like ours that that is uh, so different from the other options out there is that we have over 130 farmers that are on a waiting list that uh, none of those were solicited and they just word of mouth in the farmer community and uh, they reach out and uh, seek an opportunity to partner. So we put them on a waiting list. So hopefully as we partner with more retailers and expand our processing capabilities, like what this grant will help with, and we'll be able to partner with a good number of those farmers.
That's so exciting. And what kind of goes through the process of, you know, making sure that anybody joins that wait list, that they're up to snuff, that they're still doing the same practices that you guys are going? Do you, do you look for specifically people that have the humane um, background? Like what goes in there to where you can like vet these farmers that are coming in? Yeah, most of the farmers on the waiting list are producing for an integrator or someone else at the moment. And they're interested in a different opportunity. So our new housing coordinator will go out and meet with them and see if their farm meets the uh, organic certification requirements and just really spend some time talking to them and understanding why they're interested. You know, we really want to make sure that the farmer's passions align with ours and that they really care about the animals and they care about the environment, um, not just, you know, tired of working with someone else. So you're looking for a new opportunity. So we are we're fairly careful about the farmers that we partner with just so we can be confident in the quality of product that we have available. I got you. Yeah, that's smart. I'm sure you wouldn't want somebody to come in there, you know, that they say that they're humane, but they're not. And they're just trying to get more profit, um, which would be no bueno. But that's so exciting. I mean, a lot of a lot of people, I, I think, would look at, you know, more humanely raised um, livestock in the industry and be like, you know, what? you probably can't do this at scale, like because it's all just numbers. Well, it seems like you guys are proving the doubters wrong that one, you can clearly do this at scale. Two, there's a huge audience. And then three, a lot of farmers want to do it. And so it seems like you're able to drive home those three points with this with this whole farmer-focused thing. Yeah, it's been really interesting because in the early years, we heard from so many other companies and so many people that would say, y'all will never make it. You, you can't mm. survive as a business doing these things as your business model. And so now in the last few years, those uh, statements have turned into questions. It's like, how are you doing? <laughs> but now you're making it work. You've proven it. But how are you making, how are you doing this? That's so funny. It's like, yeah, you're wrong. I always, it's so funny to hear people say, oh, you know, you can't do this. Like, this is not a good idea. When nine times out of 10, those are the ones that are groundbreaking. Like those are the ideas or the companies that just completely revolutionize it. Um, and so that's so cool. And I mean, like I've looked at your website again, which is Farmer Focus, and you guys have a lot of products in a lot of stores. And so clearly this product is awesome. And I mean, not just, um, you know, I'm looking at it right now, you've got like whole young chickens, boneless chickens, ground chicken, but you've also got some really cool recipes like honey jalapeno chicken party wings, Caribbean jerk boneless wings. Like there's so much stuff and there's so much variation for all this different poultry stuff. And so it seems like you're, you know, you can get to a bunch of people. Oh, oh, you've also got chicken levers. That's awesome. So you're using so many parts of the chicken. Yeah, you have to, you, to be successful, you have to sell the whole bird. So, uh, yeah, I, I like that point. And talking about that, like, how important is that to make sure that, I mean, like, I, I'm imagining that that would affect profits if, you know, if you waste the bones, if you waste the feathers. So, I don't know if I've asked a, a poultry farmer this, like what are some things you're doing with those byproducts, like with the chicken or with, with the feathers, with the bones and stuff like that, to where you're using all of the animal and none of it is going to waste. Yeah, it is very critical because if you don't use the whole bird, then the other parts are going to be forced to bear the cost. Mm. And a big part of our philosophy and, and mission is to keep 
these premium products affordable. So if we're not finding profitable homes for feet, feathers, you know, entrails, frames, everything, every single thing, then it's going to drive up the cost of, of the other parts. So, you know, a lot of the backs and bones would and frames, they go to broth companies. Um, some of those would also go to pet food companies and, and things. So we there is essentially no part of the chicken that doesn't actually have a home for profit. That's really good. And I, I think, you know, a lot of people don't realize that they, they just think like, oh, when it comes to chicken, you just use the chicken breast, the wings, the legs, that's it. And you don't use anything else like the organs, the feathers, whatever. But I mean, you're utilizing so much stuff. I mean, it's like, um, it's like a cow, like when it comes to animal byproducts from from beef, there's so much we get like besides leather, there's medicine, there's fireworks, there's so much stuff that comes from the byproducts of livestock that people really wouldn't think about unless they do like some, you know, unless they get on a rabbit hole on Google and they're like looking at stuff for like six hours and then they find that information. Yep, that's true. So, I mean, what's the future looking like for this? You're, you're wanting to partner with more people. You're wanting to obviously get more people interested in this, more, more consumers aware of it. And you're also working on the processing facility. So what's the future looking like maybe the, the next five or 10 years? Farmer Focus has been the number one fastest growing organic chicken brand in the industry and has become the number two organic chicken brand. Uh, we have Farmer Focus products in over 4,000 stores here on the East Coast. And um, really, uh, for the future, our focus is protecting, protecting that mission and that vision. And, you know, tr the traction of the brand is key to us expanding on that mission and being able to partner with more farmers and, and uh, allow us to spend time where we're so deeply passionate, which is around regenerative and sustainable farming. So we're really working on how we can adopt regenerative practices at a scale, adopt technologies to increase, increase our efficiencies and all of those things that we can continue to raise a healthier bird in a better environment with a lower carbon footprint at a lower cost. I know that sounds lofty, but that's something that I can get excited about. And uh, so that's what's going to carry us for the next next wow and give us a and give us plenty to do. And so I'm looking at the website again, and I totally forget about this page. But in addition to buying at stores, you can also order it online through some third party companies like ButcherBox, CrowdCow, or Fresh Direct. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And so yeah, I'm looking at. We actually had CrowdCow on. Um, geez, I think like two years ago. But um, you just go to the chicken page and they have a specific farmer focus page for you guys where they can order chicken breasts. They can order everything. And of course, that's an awesome direct to consumer model, you know, where they can literally go online and just buy your products. So you don't have to go to the store. If you don't live in the area, you can just buy that chicken online. That's awesome. So what's it what was it like working with those stores to help bring your products to even more people like the those online stores, for example? It's exactly what you said about reaching people who weren't were not close to a store that carried the farmer focused products that were asking about it. So we started reaching out and had some initial conversations and and that portion of business has grown a lot more than we expected it to. And mm -hmm. so um, I think it's just a, a testament to not just the convenience that that people need, but the ability to reach people in those demographics. I can imagine. And I mean, so with when you're working with farmers, are you trying to find, 
I don't know, the, those chicken farmers that are closest to those distribution plants um, for crowd cow or for butcher box, like you're trying to find them as regional as, clo- as possible so that they're not having to ship super long. Like w- w- what goes into there to kind of planning that strategically? So we own our own processing capabilities and that's right here in the middle of the Shenandoah Valley in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And so all of our farms are within about an hour or so of the processing facilities because that's where all the animals need to come and then we distribute to there so we are we are delivering to the butcher box warehouse and those other customers okay okay that makes sense yeah i'm looking at their website and just trying to see you know all the products that you, that you guys offer and there's a lot of options i mean that's amazing i really want to order some and try it online but i'm going to try to go to the harris teeter here in, in dc and and get some which is super duper exciting um you know, I love that what you guys are doing is really like revolutionizing the industry. Um, and of course, as a sixth generation farmer, I got to ask you this. Is there a lot that you took from working on a farm to leading this company now? Like, is there a lot of transferable skills? Growing up on a farm, we knew how to raise awesome chickens. Mm. We could, you know, we could grow a lot of the healthiest chickens Learning processing is a completely different skill and learning all all of those arts. But really what consumers want, they want delicious food. They want a healthy animal. They want a great eating experience. And that's what we had no doubt we could accomplish. So then we had to become good at processing. And so the best thing we could do is go out and hire some industry experts who were good at operating processing facilities and bring those on our team. So it's all about bringing in, yeah, I mean, kind of bringing in people that have maybe done it before or they, you know, they complement your skills. So is that kind of right? Yeah, I'm the visionary who <laughs> looks at, you know, what all we should be adopting in the future and what regenerative practices we should be focusing on. I'm very blessed to have a very strong team around their operational uh skills and that have a lot of industry experience and you know they they just really make me look good because um, (laughs) our company is has been so successful when um, i've just done a good job of hiring people that are a lot smarter than me well hey i i feel like that's what business is about like if you're running a good business it's about hiring good people that compliment you but are also good at the things that you're not doing or the things that you're not good at um and I kind of relate to you. I, I'm the visionary of Farm Traveler, but my wife always brings me back down to earth. She's very, she's an engineer, so she's very type A. And she's like, okay, well, if you want to do that, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Like, here is the track that you should follow instead of just shooting for the stars. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I need to listen to you. Yeah, our wives have a way of doing that, don't they? They do, they do. And and I tell her all the time, she I hate it, but she is right 100% of the time. Like, <laughs> like anytime she's giving me advice, I always look back on it. And I'm like, Allie, I should have listened to you. You were 100% right. I'm sorry that I ever doubted you. <laughs> I've learned that more and more over the years, for sure. <laughs> well, I've only been married, uh, oh shoot, five years. So I've got a long way to go. But, we're, you, know, it, you know, we men, we take a little bit longer to realize stuff. So it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> That's true. So Farmer Focus, if people want to learn more about you guys, where all can they go? What stores can they go in if they're in the East Coast? Um, What's your website and social media handles and all that good stuff? Yeah, go to FarmerFocus.com. We have a store locator. You can put in your zip code 
and you will find what stores that you can find the products in that are closest to you. If you can't find any very close, obviously you can go to ButcherBox, CrowdCow, or, or one of those options. And um, just always remember to take the time to use the QR code, meet the farmer that raised the bird for you because they're the star of the show. We're not. There you go. That's awesome. Well, I am seriously going to go try to buy some very, very soon. And I've been trying to do more like cooking videos on Instagram and YouTube because I think, you know, most people that watch our content or listen to our episodes, they they want really good quality food. Well, I, I thought like, you know what, let's show them how to cook it. And so I've worked with a couple of people um, with like roasting a chicken, cooking some steaks. So I'm going to try to come up with a really cool idea to like kind of cook with with your chicken, maybe like a chicken taco or something like that to kind of showcase it. So I'll have to let you know whenever I post that, but I'm very much looking forward to it. Yep, absolutely. Please let us know. Deal. Well, Corwin, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate chatting with you. Um, I love how you guys are, you know, shaking up the whole industry. Can't wait to see what y'all do. And, you know, we'll have to touch base again whenever you guys complete that processing facility in like 2024. So best of luck with that. I feel like that will be a huge undertaking. Yep. Thanks, Trevor. Take care. Hey again, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Farm Traveler podcast. Don't forget, we have our awesome five-minute Friday newsletter that comes out you might have guessed it every Friday. If you want to subscribe to that, check out the link below in the description of this episode, as well as go to our website, thefarmtraveler.com, and you can sign up for it there as well as check out all of our episodes, some cool videos, and some cool articles we have on all things farming, agriculture, and podcasting. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.